Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fitness Devil podcast. And today we have two great guests. They're a fitness couple, Mark Mitchell and Michelle Bagnell. And they're online coaches, uh, fitness competitors, and a whole bunch of other cool stuff. So uh, check out their story and uh, enjoy. Shut up and sit down. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Fitness Devil Podcast. I'm Andrew Coates, and uh, I've got Dean Guido here with me, of course. Uh, so uh, everybody loves these beautiful fitness couples who have this fit lifestyle together all over Instagram. Uh, or maybe you get a little nauseous when you see this sort of thing, all that coordinated cuteness, ripped abs, and endless positivity, and <laughs> motivational memes, and all that shit. So we've, we've brought in one of those... Uh, couples today, uh, my friends Michelle Bagnell and uh, Mark Mitchell are here to share a mic with us. So it's great to have you guys. Welcome back from China, I guess not too long ago in your travels. So I wanted you guys to open up with uh, explaining what you've done in your fitness careers, what you're doing currently uh, with your coaching. Mark, you got the apparel thing. Like, I'll let you guys go. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having us, first of all, guys. Um, really appreciate being here. So Essentially for me, I got really into fitness and bodybuilding when I first moved to China, which was like eight years ago. Yeah. So I went there originally for schooling right after high school. It's kind of a long story, but I got interested in studying Chinese in, in high school. And then I got a scholarship to go there to continue my studies. And I was faced with the, the reality that I didn't have any sports to play when I was there. And <laughs> so being someone that played sports his whole life, you know, I grew, grew up playing hockey, played all the high school sports, volleyball, uh, basketball, tennis, um, I didn't have anything to play ping there. pong. Ping pong. I, huge I could have played ping pong. Um, I'm not as good as a Chinese though, unfortunately. <laughs> I think they would have killed me on that one. Um, but I got super into it there. Um, got into lifting. Got really, you know, into like bodybuilding, reading the magazines and stuff. That led me to uh, fast forward a couple years when I came back to Canada, um, competing in my first men's physique competition. That was in 2013. So that was kind of right when men's physique was starting to be a thing. I think it was the first year it was introduced. So it was a very new division. Um, so I kind of grew with the division. I did a couple more competitions. Um, most recently, I did Muscle Beach in 2016. I Is was that able... where you won and yeah. dropped your trophy? Yes. So <laughs> that was a pretty. <laughs> yes. It's become a pretty candid shot now. Um, David Ford captured that perfectly. Uh, thanks, David, for that. Um, it's now engraved in Instagram history. Um, but yeah, I was able to win, win there. I was pretty fortunate to do that. Um, uh, I also was a personal trainer with Andrew. That's where I met him um, at World Health. And since then, I've kind of, you know, fast forward to now, I've, I'm in the middle of doing my master's program, and I've started actually transitioning to online training. So I'm starting to build up my roster with that. That's something, you know, I've been loving, um, just the kind of holistic aspect of it, because I think one of the biggest issues for me with training in the gym was I didn't really have control um, over the time that my clients weren't actually in the gym with me. So if someone comes to train with me, you know, once to twice a week, I don't know what they're doing the rest of the time. And that was, you know, kind of a big disconnect because for me, I'm such a big believer in terms of like the nutrition and the supplementation and the recovery that you get outside of the gym um, that to not be able to actually see what my clients were doing, it was hard for me to really judge how much progress they could make uh, with the time that we were spending in the gym. Online's really growing and several of our guests <clears throat> were very prominent in that fact. Carter Good is a great example. We just recorded Chad Hargrove. So if you guys haven't heard that episode, just it's the <clears throat> one before this one. Chad's amazing. Patrick Umphrey and a few others. And of course, obviously, Sohee Lee and Mike Isertel have done huge things on the, the 
grander coaching over the internet thing with their program. Well, I was going to even say you brought up the point about like, yeah, you're one-on-one training, but like what happens after that? And I don't think we've ever touched on that aspect of online coaching is the fact that you can have that time with them. That's not that one hour from whatever, mm-hmm. seven till 8 PM. And then you don't see them for yeah. four days. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and also just in terms of some other things I've been interested in, I got into really like the fashion aspect of the fitness industry. So I launched my own apparel brand with my partner, Kevin Ethan in Red Deer. So that's something we've you know, slowly and quietly been building over the last year. Andrew's wearing a shirt. So yeah, Andrew's actually, <laughs> he's one of our original tank top wearers. <laughs> yeah, I, I got one from him a while back and I'll show up on Instagram wearing it once in a while. Then he brought us uh, each one today. So I threw my tank top on. It's actually He, th- he threw his tank top over his tank top. Yeah, well, so he's wearing two tank tops. No, no sleeves. No <laughs> sleeves. Jesus, so it's only minus 20 outside. Yeah. yeah. No 30. Sleeves. Minus 30, 30 Celsius. For American <laughs> listeners, minus 30 Celsius. If that doesn't register with you, just like type it into Google and do the conversion. It's going to be cold. some sort of horrifying Down number in your freezer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I start my car to warm up in my garage. <laughs> it's still cold. So, yeah. That was, well, that's all amazing. Yeah. We're going to dive a bit more into that stuff. But Michelle, what about yeah, you? Yeah, two of you. Where did you come from with all this? <laughs> all right. Thank you guys again for having us. And yeah, so kind of similar story a little bit to Mark. Um, I'm a registered nurse. That's very different from Mark. I've been a registered nurse for five years now on labor and delivery specifically. Um, and from there, turned personal trainer from competing. That kind of opened up a whole other world to me and kind of started my passion for nutrition and fitness and just a huge mental transformation for myself as well. Um, From personal training, I got my yoga instructor certification, so teaching yoga as well. And then um, when we went to China, I started online coaching. I switched to teaching English, which um, totally outside of my realm. (laughs) I did that as a means to travel and to be with him while he was doing his master's. And while I was doing that, I realized I'm so passionate about health and fitness and that steered me to go online while I was there. I did it for two months. And then at the end of the two months, I was kind of, it was a good experience, but I was done with it. And, um, that's my dog. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, I spent a full month just working on launching my own business there for when I came home. Cool. I'm not surprised at all that you two took to that because in the little limited amount of time I got to know you and obviously Mark and I worked together, yeah. I could see, I, I've been telling people in the company, we had a whole bunch of what I, people I felt like were really rising stars and you were one of the people that I kept saying to the oh, higher ups, you. is like, this is someone you guys have to invest in. This is someone who is going to do really great things. And, and you did really well there and you really took off. Obviously, you know, things took you out of the country and in other directions. So. For sure. Yeah. And it, same as Mark, like it's when you're personal training somebody in the gym, you only kind of have control over that aspect of their life to an extent. I mean, um, an online coaching allows me to use all my backgrounds, nutrition, nursing, all that stuff in one. So yeah. actually, I think it's a, um, something that a lot of trainers fail to embrace. And I think perhaps sometimes it's the way that in in-person coaching in these commercial gyms is constructed that trainers think okay once the hour is over then that's it and i've worked with people who very specifically put on this what feels like an act or show in front of the client a lot of high energy and then they walk away from it and it changes and then that's where the relationship ends until the next session where uh, i my bread and butter my business is my in-person coaching and i'm really invested in my clientele well beyond that they message me with all kinds of stuff sure. interactive uh, get to spend time with them outside of it sometimes and a lot of these people have been with me a really long time they become very close friends 
So I've taken what you're talking about, but I've actually made that work within the in-person experience yeah. where I think a lot of trainers sometimes think of themselves, I like the idea Exercisers. of pro professionalism of like how doctors or psychiatrists or whatever, but you don't get to text your psychiatrist uh, in the evening or your doctor or to have this sort of relationship outside of that. And there's a reason for that, I guess. But when trainers take that same sort of attitude, I think they're missing an opportunity to affect people's lives even more. So if you're someone listening who, again, you have a coach or you're thinking about one, you're probably worthwhile looking for someone who is going to invest in you and a greater relationship as opposed to just the hourly arrangement. So I want to, uh, we, we've kind of touched on this and we didn't, we haven't really given it its full effort that we should. You returned from months in China. So <laughs> like that, and we kind of just said it like in passing, like you, you were in China. So, so how is the Chinese industry or I guess the fitness industry different than North America? And like, what are the opportunities for trainers? Cause you're trainers, you're in China. So kind of give us the story on that whole thing. So we don't just breeze over it. So, where do we begin? Yeah, where, where do we begin? Like, this where do we start a, with this one? <laughs> this could become a very long-winded answer. Yes. Um, it's I, okay, Andrew does that I'll let time. you. I'll, yeah, I'll let you kick it off. I'll kind of start. So for me, I've you know spent on and off about overall four years actually in China. Nice. So I've seen kind of you know everything that can go on in the gyms there, um, everything in terms of health and fitness. Uh, and I've also seen kind of a rise of fitness um, because you know the time that I have spent there is kind of spanned between uh, 2009 until just recently. So the end of 2017. So there is a big growth in terms of people's interest in health and fitness, but I think it's kind of, they're still at the point where they still don't understand really what's the point, how do I actually work out? What's proper gym etiquette? Um, you know, those, the things that kind of, we were figuring out maybe in North America in like the seventies and eighties. I see people every um, day who have figured out oh, gym etiquette. So, no, like, can I, can I intersect with somebody coming please. in? Cause he has like a really, he had a lot of background in China in comparison to me. Mm. When I came there, the gym was probably my biggest culture shock. Like there, there's no wipes to wipe down equipment. Um, really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Like there's, um, Are they spit on the ground. Yeah, yeah, for real. Like, and they're smoking. Like, Sorry, that's the smoking in the gym. What? They smoke in the yeah. gym yeah. is the number yeah. one sound in China. Yeah. Like, I'm like, what is that? And yeah. then there's so. people spitting at me. And then um, <laughs> staring is normal. Like, very much so acceptable in their culture. Like, I had a good-looking white couple in there. And you guys are oh, staring, coughing at you. I had a guy eating a sandwich with his shirt off on a bench watching me lunch for an hour. And that's yeah. something that is totally normal. Yeah. Or people would put their phone on video and put it below me while I was squatting <laughs> or training, and it's normal. Like, and they couldn't... Okay, that shit will get you That's what I was like, right that's right He's like, it's slowly moving towards, and it, it's... Okay, it, sure. But for me, I just... I had a very hard time, like, that's... That's my happy place. And I was so uncomfortable in a Chinese gym for so long. And I got it towards the end. I was just like, you know what? You just got to go and do your thing. I'm, um, I'm trying to start this by being nice to the people. I'm sorry. You're just throwing out all these things. I'm real. What They're taking upskirt me? videos <laughs> of me while I'm working out. To be honest, for someone who goes in there for the first time, um, I probably have spent way too long there to the point where I think of it as normal. You but have. You what, have. You're taking videos of chicks? You know what? The, I mean, like, from Works like the this smoke. is normal, thank God. So for me, the biggest, the biggest thing that was a turnoff was the, like Michelle mentioned, just the constant people staring at you, doing everything. So, for example, you know, I'm, I'm doing a squat or a leg press. Someone's literally a, a foot away from me just staring at me. And, you know, I look up, and because I can actually speak Chinese, I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, and they just run away. And it's just the weirdest thing ever. Um, 
there's been that kind of staring also like in the guy's bathroom. So, you know, that in, happens in, here yeah. too. I'm actually, ter- it's a whole I, would, other level, I will never I shower in a gym in China because I did it a couple times and it was <laughs> the worst experience ever. I had people just creeping on me. Like it was the weirdest thing, the smoking in the bathroom. So, um, I've witnessed people, you know, just smoking right before they go out All to the, the gym floor. There's no, there's no normal. like door between the change room and the gym. It's just, you know, walk out. So somebody can smoke. There's smoke going out the change room. Um, On mine too. Women don't lift weights in China. So that was a very big, uh, that was crazy for people to see. Like, I think here, I don't feel like my body type's that different or that, but for women there, it was like, oh my gosh, like to see a woman lifting weight and I lift heavier weights than most of the men and I don't lift very heavy. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing that's really, really funny there is kind of like the bro gym culture. Yeah. So it wouldn't, there's never like one dude working out by himself. Really? He, he'd always brings his bros. So there'll be like five of them, but this the gym is like the size, you know, twice the size of this room. It's tiny. Right? Yeah, so there's like a hundred square foot a, room. There's not enough room for people to just stand around, yeah. like watching someone do a set. It's really frustrating because there'll be like six dudes on like the two benches that they have in the one in the gym, right? Yeah. And they're just watching someone, you know, this guy's doing like 40 pound dumbbells. They're all like cheering him on, like literally like lifting the one dude's lifting the dumbbells for him or they're doing deadlifts and like someone's like spotting the deadlift and it's like, you know, like maybe like 75 kgs. I think form was the scariest thing. Like when you are watching people deadlift, I'm kind of cringing before because their spine is like that perfect arch and it's so scary. And, um, (laughs) Yeah, the, even the personal trainers, like, they train people. So there is yeah. a huge area for education there. Improvement. A huge There's, area of... Do you think that, especially with your language skills now and your time there, that you could penetrate the Chinese marketplace in the online realm and be accessible mm-hmm. to them? Are you finding you're getting some of that? Yeah, absolutely. So, actually, this most recent time when I was there, so about a month ago... Um, I kind of filmed my first video about like workout tips and I was in Chinese. So you can actually see that on my Instagram. If you go maybe like two or three weeks back, there's like a link. It's a a Weibo link. So W-E-I-B-O. And if you click that, you can see me talking Chinese. So anyone who speaks Chinese or is interested in that can go and watch that. Mandarin or Cantonese? Mandarin. So most people in China speak Mandarin. Cantonese is kind of like a dialect of only in Southern China. Hong Kong. So we get, yeah, yeah, we get a lot of that in Canada though, because of the, the easy like access back in the day when people would like immigrate into Canada, a lot of them went from Hong Kong because there's the big port there. Um, so that's why we see a lot of Cantonese here, but in reality, not many people actually speak Cantonese in China. Um, mostly they speak Mandarin. I say that to him all the time though. I feel like him knowing Mandarin is just in- incredible to bridge the gap between here and China. There's so many areas where China's ahead and so many areas where we're, and it's just, um, and vice versa. It's, it's neat. Like, I think I wanted to teach yoga there. I wanted to personal train there, but I couldn't because of that language barrier. So I feel like, and then even with internet, like they don't have access to the same social media and the same things that we do. We had to have a VPN to really? go on Instagram, Absolutely. to go on Facebook, to use Google. So is that because of the, the politics? Yeah, because yeah, it's it a communist country. Okay, yeah, so, let's just hope no one from the government listens to this episode because you're not going to be allowed back in. <laughs> right? It's, no. I think we're good. What's, he, what's weird, though, he is He knows they, all that stuff, too. They, you know, yeah. you and know they almost the websites don't, that they use. It's almost know. like they don't They don't actually care if you're on these websites. Yeah. It's just they don't want access. They don't want most of the people to know about them. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that we have to download this virtual private network VPN to actually access these Western, Western uh, social networks yeah. and websites like Google, Facebook, Instagram, etc., um, it just kind of keeps the majority of the Chinese 
uh, unaware yeah. that those are, those are in existence. They right? have their own though. They have their yeah. own WeChat exactly. where it's like everything in one. Like so, it's their payments. It's their social media. Yeah. It's their, it's all tracked. Yeah. But, they're not, but that would explain why they're like 30 years behind in the fitness industry because they're not hit in the face exactly, with it constantly. They're exactly. not, they're not, they're not like, um, oh. you know, able to access our social media easy. And yeah. we're, you know, every single day we go on there, we watch different gym tips. Yeah. There's all these like, people giving us good advice on like fitness for the most part. That's There's crazy. obviously people giving fat advice. I didn't even think about that. I was like, what do you mean? They're like, why are they so far behind? Like they're, so it's modern they have their society. Own, they have their own version of every kind of big website we have. They have their own Google, they have their own YouTube, they have their own Facebook, Instagram, etc. And they're all these kind of the Chinese versions that have grown up yeah. you know, behind the Chinese firewall in terms yeah. of internet protection. Yeah. So they're huge in their own right, but they're very different. Yeah. And, and even so, with that too, like whether you use Weed, you'd be able to speak to us better than I can, but they're ahead in that way. Yeah. Like for payments, for example, like you don't pull your wallet out or use cash in China. You have an app and you scan everything. Yeah. Like you walk into a convenience store to buy something and you scan it on your phone. You pay for dinner on your phone. It's all through it's, that app. You rent bikes on your phone that you can yeah. just pick up all over the city. Like So the closest, so closest thing ways, we would have to cool. that would be like Apple Pay. Yeah. But it's literally like probably how Apple Pay will be here in like 20 years from now. Yeah, they're so ahead of us so in that the, way. So their whole mobile payment thing with these big but they can't they can't deadlift with proper form. Like. No, they can't. <laughs> so so, so all for, it's all for so thought. It's all for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, we kind of touched on this though. So like traveling, how has it changed your life and like how you think about the industry as a whole? Because I know you can kind of go from mm-hmm. Western to over there, but like what's your thoughts now kind of coming back from that experience? Um, I'm a lot more patient. So that's a huge thing for me. Like, like, you know, you guys are faced every single day. We go in commercial gyms here and we yeah. see people do stupid things, but at the same time, it's like, that's not everyone. And that's a, it's a small, you know, most people for the most part, they want to go, they want, they want to better themselves. Yeah. They want to go, they want to learn, they want to learn how to do things properly. They're not going to be someone to do things wrong for like 30 years. And just, just cause, you know, they're not going to be someone to always go in an eagle lift, but that still happens here. But in, in China, it's just, <laughs> it's so, it's so different to the point where they, they don't even they can't comprehend that there could be a better way to do it because of, and that's kind of, it, it goes back to the roots of like their culture. Like they're, they're a society that's kind of, you know, from the age they're, you know, they're five the age they can speak. They're always about like, this is the way it is. And this is how it is. And no one's going to tell you why it is like that. There's also a big um, thing about saving face as well. Exactly. It? So it's probably very difficult to both go to someone and say, Hey, that yep. looks like shit. I, you, don't, you don't ever want to approach <laughs> someone and say, hey, you're doing it wrong, but like in, in the most soft way possible. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's probably also difficult for someone to accept that kind of was, feedback. Yeah. And- it was That's hard for me in China because I couldn't even voice it if I wanted to, yeah. right? Like the whole time I was there, I wasn't able to speak. And and also, essentially, yeah, like it. For me too, there was times where I wanted to say something to someone, but then you kind of like get this voice that's like, well, you know what? That's just how it is here and it's okay. For right now, like, there's no point in you going and like telling this guy something. Yeah. Um, there has been times where someone's asked me for advice, and I've, I'm always, you know, open to explaining things. I've I've worked out with Chinese people in the past before, and that was actually like one of my biggest teachers in terms of language skills. Yeah. Um, was actually training with Chinese people, helping them with their form and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, in terms of like, there's 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 some things that you just you can't control, and you shouldn't always like want to like force your perspective on them if that's how it is so one it won't make that big of an impact like you said like there's, exactly there's... and it's just kind of how it is right now and that's you know it's something that we shouldn't like take too seriously it's kind of funny now what's the, the bigger process of trying to change that you think just in your opinion kind of seeing both worlds like how um, how is that change gonna i guess happen over time well i think there's kind of two things there like i mentioned 
previously, they have this like deep rooted cultural um, kind of way of thinking where, yeah. as Andrew mentioned as well, with the saving face thing, they're really, really, um, you know, a lot of people are unable to actually voice if they don't know something or they need help. Um, that's something that people have issues doing there just because of like the saving face. They don't want people to know they're there. They could be wrong or they don't want people to, to know if they don't know what to do. So that's an issue, but that is like such a deep rooted, like socially thing yeah. that it will just take a lot of time, I think, to get out of that. Um, and it's kind of also with the education system is, is very like that as well. Like, um, you know, as soon as people start school there, there are just, there's such a linear education process that like, this is how it is. And this is like I mentioned, this is yeah. what it is. And there's no reason why it's like that. So it doesn't allow people to develop very critical thinking skills yeah. like we do in the West. We really value like uniqueness and critical thinking in Western education and western way of thought but in china it's not like that it's like someone told you this this thing and this is how it is and that person because they're up here in society's ladder yeah. or whatever hierarchy you're he's you're gesturing at, above his head with his hands yes you guys <laughs> can't see that. i like it's to like, like our I listeners like can't our listeners can't see you mark it doesn't imagine him way. putting it his head low and, and then how we talk and i'm italian so i like speak with so hands. i saw that a lot in yeah. teaching too like i can say people almost at first I thought it was funny like to see people sleeping everywhere and to see like I didn't get it like people would be asleep on the grass or on a bench and on it and then I realized their society is almost like such a work hard not smart in yeah. some ways like even I was teaching students that were ages two to five and they would come into my class from 8 30 in the morning till 5 30 p.m I was exhausted at the end of the day and then they would go and have more class at the end of the day yeah so in terms of like recovery with sports and fitness it's, I couldn't imagine what it would be like because they're just taught to go 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 and to never yeah and they're it's just it's such a like a, like Michelle so, mentions she phrased it beautifully like it's work hard not smart um if I work hard it's gonna work I don't have to think about why I'm doing it <laughs> yeah. if, I, if I'm doing done. if and I'm doing dumbbell curls and my shoulders are waving and my back's all out of control <laughs> It's still going to work. My arms but are going to grow they're because red, I'm working red hard necks. and I'm sweating. That's rednecks, so. man. The rednecks. We're, we're going to get shit because it's going to sound like we're shitting on Chinese culture. We're no, they're just the way it is. Not it's, at all. It's, it's not even I bet. If there's anyone who loves Chinese culture, yeah, it's like, him. To be like honest, he, like China, but, China has a really special place in my heart. Um, I actually consider Beijing like my second home because the amount of time I've spent yeah. there. I think he's more the, Chinese than he is. And the, the amount of energy, <laughs> money, time that I've invested into learning that culture and learning that language it is like a place that I absolutely love, but because I love it, I'm able to like see, you know, there is flaws. Yeah. Right. Um, I appreciate it so much, but I can I, also see the issues with the culture. Well, and even if we, we talk, we could it. spend what, days talking about the issues in Western culture <laughs> well, course, and our course. fitness industry oh and all goodness. this. And we do actually spend a fair bit of time on that stuff. So we'll have more information. Hopefully we it. don't have any social yeah. justice warrior Just, types listing it, freaking out because we're uh, going into some of the, uh, Issues with him. Well, what they, we see they, in the Chinese they, they have a problem. Industry. Like he, he spent six years in China, so unless you've fucking done that, you don't get the opportunity to talk on it. Yeah, well, <laughs> there's there's nothing that like you know bored white middle class people like to do more than to complain about shit that has nothing to do with that, that other. Countries. That was way worse than anything they said. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're allowed. We're allowed to say racist shit about white people in our society now. It's actually really fucked up, but we're not going to get on that rant. <laughs> no, no, we're not. He's like shit. <laughs> I got to speak to the environment. I think that was the biggest thing. Like, yeah. you become so appreciative here. Like, I didn't realize there as well. Like, not every, but pollution is a thing. Like, it's, it's crazy. Like, I've never been, now I'm like, oh, it's cold to run outside. 
it's not a big yeah. deal. Like, put on hats and a glove. Like, and you can go and do stuff outside and move. Or, like, some days I just, you couldn't in China for days or weeks. Or... It was so dirty. You could. It's just it was the pollution, small, some of the worst pollution in yeah. the world. So you, you just don't think about those things. No. Like, you don't. You're like, let's go try to travel to China. It seems cool. And if you actually spend a lot of time there, then yeah. then those problems start affecting you. You need to get back to and some normalcy and then it's you're in a different world. And you world. can see it from a very young age. Yeah. You know, like Michelle can speak on this, but she she taught kids that were like between like two and what, three. Two and like they're sne- like they're sneezing all the time. Even like this is gross and like way too much information, but your boogers are like black. Like you. Yeah, it's really bad. That's normal in Beijing. And I mean, to get myself through there, I was like, people live there their whole lives. So, I mean, I'm here for six months. I'm going to survive. But I I woke up and I felt that every Mm. day. Like, and then they you had can... smoking in the gym on top of yeah. it all. Holy. Yeah, I, I definitely had to go through, like... Yeah. You know what? Why not? Transition come home. <laughs> <laughs> Did they, were they, okay, <laughs> <laughs> actually, I, I, and this is because I don't know the answer. Were steel. we allowed to smoke in gyms when smoking was allowed? I... Yes. No. Honestly, because I don't, I don't remember. Because as a nurse, I can say, like, physicians used yeah. to smoke with their patients, so I would say that you could yeah. probably... Oh, and... yeah. I guess my, gra- I, my grandfather was a, a radiologist back in Newfoundland, and, like, it was... I don't think it was anything for him to be smoking at his desk in the 60s Normal. and 70s. Yeah. I, th- I think this sort of stuff started going away probably towards the 80s a bit, but... Yeah, and then I, I, I would be willing to bet there was a bottle of scotch in his desk for all of the Just time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you'd hear stories about how, you know, the 60s, these old Irish doctors in Newfoundland, you know, a police officer would pull them over after a night, they're driving home, and of course they're soused. So uh, anyway, the officer would be like, okay, come on, doctor, I'll, I'll drive you home, right? As opposed to, that's it, you're going to the drug tank. So obviously so a lot of things have changed culturally here as well. Uh, now we were going on and on about commercial gyms and all this sort of stuff. You guys met in a commercial gym. That's actually how I know you guys. I've worked with you both. Uh, it, I guess the thing I was curious about is this relationship within the fitness industry. And that's, we've seen a few examples. Dean's, uh, uh, owner, the owners of, uh, L2, Len and Laura, yeah. and we'll have them on in the future. They're wonderful. They have this passion together for fitness and, and they own this, this company together. So like, what is it like having someone who shares your career passion and how, how does it push the both of you guys and where have challenges arisen within that relationship? I can speak to this one if you yeah. yeah. I think it was cool meeting Mark because I think before I met him, I was kind of convinced that I needed to find somebody who would just be almost accepting that I was so into fitness and that I was so into traveling. I never really thought that I could find somebody who was the same in all of those areas. So when we met, it was refreshing. It's like, okay, you get up and you love to work out every day. And when we are traveling, like you love to go climb mountains and go swim in the ocean. And, um, same with when we're at home, like we very much so keep that routine. It's not really somebody needs to be accepting if I'm that way. It's, I have somebody to get up and do that stuff with every single day. And it just makes life easy. Like it's, yeah, yeah, honestly, it's, it's cool. And we kind of both push each other. And obviously we both grew through phases in life where, um, we might struggle, I guess, a little bit with that. And we always have the other person to kind of get us back into that routine. Um, so say some bad things. <laughs> what, what are what are some challenges presented with this type of relationship? He's looking I can only imagine. Okay, but, um, we have a challenge right now, actually. Yeah, so something actually we've, we've been, you know, thinking about and it's been on our mind lately is that I'm almost done my master's degree. And I have, I'm kind of faced with all these different opportunities um, and different places that I could go maybe to work or like whatever. Yeah. Um, and so there's a little bit of uncertainty, um, because I still don't, you know, I don't know. And I don't, I, I'm the kind of person I don't really want to 
pre-decide anything if I don't know fully kind of what opportunities could be there in two, four, six months. So right now we're kind of like, where are we going to be in six months? Yeah. Um, and that's I mean, a normal challenge, by the way. I, yeah, <laughs> okay. I think so. Exactly. It's very human. But I think like we did a year long distance and then yeah. that's yeah. why we went to China to get, we went from one, that's another thing too. Yeah. Like we went it's from strange. long distance to living in a place that's 800 square feet, like <laughs> the size of my, half of my bedroom in Canada. Like and your boogers are black. And your boogers. <laughs> and we got black boogers, like, you know, shit got real. Um, you guys are doing real well considering. So. Thank you. <laughs> so Thanks. But like, uh, let's, but, let's, let's direct it more for like the, so, the fitness thing. So you're both in fitness what challenges arise from like literally only not only having that but that being a big part of both your lives are there any challenges that arise from that because well i have a wife she does something totally different so there's different challenges involved with that so like what are the challenges of being both fitness people for for me for me i think um one thing that's really clear is that when you're so focused on like lifting for bodybuilding which i have been yeah um for like pretty much my whole lifting career that's kind of been my main focus is always that aesthetic build building more muscle, being more lean. Um, and then you're going to different places. So I was in India for four months working. We were just in China for five months. Um, I'm having to constantly adapt to kind of different environments, adapt to different nutrition regimens, different, yeah. different gyms, you know, different times that I can go work out. Um, and the physique is not always going to keep up with me. And I need to be able to wrap my head around the fact that it's okay. Like you don't always have to be you know, looking better than the day before. There's other ways you can judge your fitness. So I'm kind of at the point now where, because I know that I love this kind of uh, on-the-go lifestyle, like I really appreciate like traveling. It's yeah. something I love. Um, and I do love working out and stuff. I just kind of have to, you know, accept that I'm adapting to a new kind of She's got to get on board. That, that brought up something good for me, actually. No, and I'm, I'm always very on board. I think I did very much so a full circle with competing, which is interesting. So this will be like, stay tuned, I suppose. But I... It, fitness has been very positive in both of our in our relationship so far. Mm -hmm. I honestly can't say that there's been too many burdens. But when we first met, like he was competing and I was a part of that process. And then I was competing and he was very much so on board and amazing. But after me competing this last time, I've decided that I'll never do it again. And not and that's just for myself individually. So on the go forward, I know that that's something that he is very passionate about and wants to continue doing. So maybe. Um, I got to figure that if you both are dieting at the same time, that's got to be a real nightmare. It was good. It was what? weird. We were so wrong much with... fun together. We like, we like actually... got up and ran stairs every morning. So it's, it's and actually, like, uh, it's hilarious. We really enjoy that lifestyle. Ma Michelle, Coming out of it yeah. sucked. So, Coming out of it and going to China exactly. was a really big struggle for me. Coming out of like that, that like, regimen and that like, you know, pre-planned lifestyle is yeah. very difficult. I struggled for um, a really hard. Especially when you're thrown into an environment like China where you yeah. can't control a lot of variables. You can't yeah. always control your nutrition. You can't control your training the way you'd like to. You can't always control your rest and recovery. You're living in a very polluted environment. You're not getting the oxygen your body needs to actually recover fully. Um, well, and so then for me, like I went straight out of a show to living yeah, in Michelle, China. Exactly. Like that's hard enough, like coming back, to, coming out of it. This is my own um perspective I guess I think coming out of a show is harder than going into a show personally mm. like I'm passionate about Absolutely. nutrition I'm passionate about training that's the start of it and then something kind of happens when you don't have that goal anymore mm. that shifts that kind of um is hard and then landing in a country where you're no longer in control necessarily yeah. of your uh 
workout environment and of your nutrition. Like I couldn't even read labels when I was well, there. And this touches on the the point that we wanted to kind of get into is yeah. what would you say? Because so you have this experience in aesthetics and, and fitness competitions. So what would you say to everyday people about the experience and commitment to competing on both sides of it? So like coming in and coming out. So for me, I've had like, I mean, honestly, like I want to pick something negative out of it. Yeah. It's so hard for me though, because doing the competitions I have in the time period in my life that I did them, it honestly made me a much better person. It made me way better at time management. It kind of taught me discipline. It taught me commitment. It taught me accountability to myself when no one was watching. Uh, those are things that I've lived, taken from that and I've applied to all different areas of my life. Yeah. So it's kind of made me a, a much more, you know, well-rounded individual. Um, it's, it's also like taught me how hard I can work if I really want something. So um, literally there's not, not really much that I've faced since, you know, my, I've started doing competitions that I've actually been like, I can't do this. This is too hard. I don't have time, um, et cetera. Like there's no more excuses almost because I literally have done everything well. I've done a competition. Like I was in university, um, when I was in my bachelor's, I did muscle beach, you know, preparing for that for two months, uh, doing my finals, like the same week as one of my competitions. So there's all these things that I've been forced to kind of juggle. Yeah. And just because I've like actually taken like every single day as its own challenge or, you know, towards the end of a uh, competition prep, you're taking every, every hour as its own challenge. You're making really small goals. Um, I've been able to kind of come out on top and been able to succeed in those things. So yeah, for me, it's just like now anything I'm faced with, I'm not really too worried about a lot of the things that most people would be concerned about. What do you think about the idea of people being drawn in. I think women are a little more vulnerable to this than men. Maybe Michelle, you could speak on this mm -hmm. coming in, seeking validation, probably coming from maybe an insecure place or with pre-existing or history of eating disordered behavior. Do you think that is a dangerous place to start wandering into fitness competitions? Hugely. Um, yeah, I will speak in a very different way than Mark on this. And I'm somebody who experienced like a very, uh, tons of positive things from competing and then tons of negative things from competing. And so what brought, I did a full circle. Like I said, I actually viewed competing in a very negative light before I started doing it. And I went to my first show and I saw some people that I was very close to. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe this would be like a really cool, like tick off your bucket list type of thing to do. I went traveling to Europe. That was my first, um, time traveling like a few years ago. And I went to 16 countries and I came home. And for the first time in my life, I gained 15 pounds. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and that's what started it for me. So I kind of did. I kind of was that woman who came from that place. And for like, if I'm being honest. Um, so I signed up for it. I did it in like a very like slow pace, moderation, like fitness and nutrition wasn't foreign to me. I can't imagine if you are a woman who it is and you go into it. Like, I feel like it would cause a lot of body image issues. Now you had, out. you've had some good people around you. Your sister's a very prominent person in the industry, Jennifer, right? Yeah. And then her husband, Paul Anthony, is a pretty renowned coach in this industry as well. So yeah. did you work pretty closely with those guys? Were they part of your structure for that? Initially, yes. Not um, recently, but initially they were big time. And so it was like good having that support. You had big, good, experienced people to help you in there. Whereas uh, you know, a lot That's of people are stepping into this where maybe the coaches aren't very qualified. Exactly. The coaching, you know, you're talking about... The end of coming out of competing is hard where that's where a lot of coaches feel like their commitment to the process. I got you on stage. My job is done. That's 
and you wonder why bikini girls bounce is, coaches like, and talk shit all the time. But that is kind of an experience that I had. So like my first, like I didn't realize it cause I felt like I love training and I love, but I was over training and under eating and I didn't know I felt cause I was eating six meals a day. And, um, but yeah, I was that girl. I, I was, and I wasn't aware of it until coming out of my first show, but my first show, it's like, I got my pro card. So I kept going with it. I was so stoked on, and that did amazing things for me in life because I went from being, um, like just stepping on stage, stage was scary for me. Like I was horrified and then winning a pro card from there, that was huge. And so I went straight to Vegas from there and that was an amazing experience. And I had so many things in life happen to me then that I kind of stepped away from it. And then it wasn't until very random, like six months ago when I was like, okay, I want to do it again. And I did it in a lot faster of a manner and then jumped like right into China. And so the process leading up to it's wonderful. Coming out of it, I realized even though I love this, it's not sustainable for me. Like I'm not, I'm not going to be training three hours a day my entire life, nor do I want to be. Um, so what well, do no, I don't think most people would be. Like, <laughs> I think like, that that's normal. Yeah. Like, and so that's where it was hard for me a little bit. Especially if you're not making, not that you're not making money off of it, but like some of these guys, the pro bodybuilders, they're making like million dollars. Like they can afford to yeah. train three hours a day and, and be passionate about it. Quote, exactly. But, like there's a real life outside of training. That's what, do, what I realized. Like, yeah. What do you say to a young woman who is thinking about competing, who probably isn't coming from a good place to start with? What do you, what is your direct advice for that person? Direct advice, if you're coming from a bad place, it's not the way to go about um, improving yourself. No, like there's so many wonderful things like Mark said, like I do think it gives you discipline. I do think I've had a lot of beautiful opportunities that have come from competing. Um, I'm somebody who came from a very healthy mindset with nutrition and exercise and coming out of competing took me to a very unhealthy place. And And honestly, it did. And I didn't expect that. But it truly did. Like going to China was the first time that I had a lot of anxiety with training, a lot of anxiety with food. And that's not something that anybody would ever expect from me. Well, kind of explain, if you feel comfortable, kind of explain of like what was the the, the negative outside of, like the anxiety, like what was actually happening going through your mind, just so other people can relate that may be going through this. Yeah. Well, when I went there, it was like I, I didn't love training in the gym as much because it was so different and I couldn't run outside or do st- stuff that I love because of pollution and then we're traveling. We want to enjoy ourselves. We want to have like a couple of drinks or eat out or whatever. We went to over 10 different countries. And for the first time I, I was like nervous about eating out or I was nervous about not training. And that was so unfortunate, but I think that's just the reality of going. I think it would have been, um, a little bit outside of my comfort zone anyways, without having that competition, but having that and then being thrown into that. Well, and what were your strategies for overcoming it? I had to really be open with him. Like I had to just like, and he was awesome. He was very, very supportive. Um, and yeah, I was meant to learn a lesson from it. Honestly, like I was meant to learn, like I, um, for the first time in my life, like I come from a super clean eating background. I come from a, and I just was like, you know what? Relax, like let go of it for a little while. Like you're, um, your passions in life, they shift and my mind just shifted towards traveling and taking that time to kind of recover and enjoy life and enjoy myself and kind of, yeah. And I think, I think something that's really important is even if you're really into the competing lifestyle, the bodybuilding lifestyle, and you, you know, that's, that's your day to day routine. It's important to be a person that can adapt to something else. You don't always have to be defined by those things you're doing for that endeavor, for that bodybuilding competition. That doesn't have to be your everyday life. 
you should be able to go to a different country and you should be able to relax. And that's you should be the able hard to thing about just I feel live like in the it moment. It becomes a lot of people's identity, though. It it does, and that's, honestly, and that was yeah. And that's for me though. That has been something that has been it has been a challenge. But by throwing myself into those different countries, when I went to India, when I went to China, um, I was able to actually learn how to adapt and learn how to be okay with you know not everything being perfect. My gym not being perfect. My food not being perfect. It's okay. Like yeah. enjoy what you're doing right now. And when the time comes and you do want to do a competition again, you know, you'll be that much more motivated to actually follow the process. And then coming home, I was just like, okay, like I'm craving this place of sustainability for 2018. Like I've. That's like me after Christmas. There was like two weeks where I just like (laughs) (laughs) the gym wasn't happening. I was eating like shit and I was ready. Like it wasn't like a new year's thing. I was like, I'm over family dinners and not. And and again, I, I I get the anxiety a little bit because you're kind of on point. And then like, there's a bunch of turkey and pumpkin pie and all that stuff. But it's just that matter of like relax, and yeah. then honestly, I I, I hit I hit like double speed as soon as January hit, just because I was like literally sick of the other shit. And your body, your body yeah. needs a break sometimes. Yeah. It needs a break from the food you're eating. It needs a break from the training, and that's only going to make you better when you go back to doing those things. Yeah. You can't always be doing something and continuously be expecting change. <clears throat> Let's pivot back to some of the dark stuff we talked about. Yeah, talk about all the shit. The good stuff. <laughs> if you know, anyone who's followed a lot of our episodes, they listen to people like, again, Carter Good is a good example, or He's Lindsay awesome. Somerset. we got to sneak Dean Somerset in every episode. It's a running joke. So Dean Somerset's wife, Lindsay, has had some really wild battles that she's beaten. So a lot of people who've had a lot of success have had a dark period. And sometimes that's a big catalyst for change. So is there anything in your own experience, your own life? And Michelle, this one's definitely directed more to you based on yeah. the conversation we've had in the past that has been a major influence on where you are right now with your career. Yeah, hugely. I can say that my darkest point has influenced where I'm at, 100%. Um, so a year and a half ago, I I lost my dad to suicide. And um, I speak very openly about it. I remember when it first happened, I was fearful to do so. But I feel like that's a part of why things like this happen. Is because unfortunately, we are uncomfortable around the topic of mental health sometimes. Yeah. Um, that's what started me living the way that I live a hundred percent. I was, I don't speak to this often. I found my dad. I found my dad in his home. And for the first time in my life, that led to me struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder. Probably it hit me probably six months afterwards. I was in a really like deep place of denial where I got like a lot of shit done after that, (laughs) after that, it was like a part of grieving and a part of but I just had this moment. I didn't know my dad was mentally ill. I was extremely close with him. I talked to him every single day. He hit it very well. Um, and it just led me to like, holy shit, life is short and do what makes you happy. And I acted very quickly. I've been a registered nurse for four years at that point. And I always had this passion for personal training. And the reason I never went to it was finances, which was so silly. And that's realistic um, though. Yeah, it's very yeah. realistic. Yeah. And then I just kind of stopped and I was like, you know what? Like you can make as much money doing it if you want, like yeah. give it a go. And that's why I was so successful my first month. Honestly, like I left nursing and I'm like, you need to make as much as a personal trainer as you do as a registered this, nurse. This is, and I did it. The <laughs> reason why this is funny is because like, <laughs> I did that. And honestly, I think about at this point, like 30, 30% of our guests have just like 
they switch careers and it's that that whole point of like okay i need to make shit work or it ain't working yeah and they almost end up coming on top not this not to suggest that everyone just chops their careers but no. it's kind of a it's kind of a, a repeating pattern that we're seeing a lot of the times people you, yourself switch careers and then you just made it work because if you didn't make it work you can't do it yeah here's actually a really important point and it's been driven home i just started a book and everybody knows it who listens i blaster books at an astonishing rate it was recommended by our last guest, my friend Chad Hergrove. It's a book called uh, So Good They Can't Ignore You. And the title is almost a little bit misleading. It's really about working relentlessly at acquiring skills. Almost, and he uses the term craft, craftsman's mindset as opposed to passion mindset. So it's a, a major debunking of the idea that you should chase your dreams and your passion with your work. Uh, because it sets you up to be dissatisfied with everything else that you could possibly do. It's more about working hard at developing skills, perhaps at what you're already doing, or mm -hmm. accumulating skills before you take that jump. And Dean and I both have extensive backgrounds, and I think you probably do as well, in fitness-related, nutrition-related things before we actually stepped into the career. It's not like we decided one day, hey, I want to be a trainer, and now the process begins about getting this, this skill you'd better be very far along the way of learning a lot of the relevant skills before you actually tackle jumping into the fitness industry. And I'm sure there are people listening who think about this stuff. I, one listener we know recently just made that shift, but he's been approaching that. I'll throw out a shout out to uh, Rob Clark because he's an awesome dude and he'll be thrilled to hear us talking about him. But he's recently just decided he's going to shift over to being a personal trainer. He's got a background in opera and he's the voice, what it does sings the national anthems for the Oilers. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So just making sure I have all those details right. And so he's pivoting. He wants to go this route, but he's been putting a lot of time and effort into acquiring knowledge and skill. It's not like he said one day, I'm going to do this, and that's where the process started. So anyway, just, just food for thought for anyone who is thinking about making that career switch like you talked about. But anyway, yeah. sidetracked. Go back to where you were. No, no worries. Um... Yeah, in that moment, I literally, that's when I shifted my career because I have this, I love nursing, I really do, and I'll always do it um, casually, but I have this whole other area of passion and knowledge in prevention, and I struggle with that in nursing. So, for instance, like I deal with a lot of women in pre with pregnancy complications, and I feel like they need to have these good mind practices, um, be eating healthy, be exercising, and a lot I find in the hospital or even mental health, like, they come in, they're diagnosed, and they're treated with meds. And it kind of breaks my heart. Like, I wish that I had time to work with people to teach them, like, self-love, how to exercise properly, how to eat. And so that's where personal training came in for me big time. I'm like, okay, this gives me an opportunity to do this a little bit more. That's where yoga came in. Mind you, like, I was at a place. I was um, waking up at 3 a.m., going to the gym for 5, working till 9 p.m., I was nursing on the weekends because I was grieving and I didn't want to feel. And yeah. um, November came around and I was like, this is not working for me. And that's when I pieced off to become a yoga instructor in India. And I had to go and like really feel some shit and really grieve. And like, it's just, it gives me a whole other tool. Like obviously with that experience, I yeah. feel life happens for you, not to you. And there's something there that I'm meant to teach from now on. And there's a lot, there's a lot with it. Um, so my passion now too is really working with people with mental illness in that in the fitness area to help them because I had to work I I didn't choose to struggle mentally but I I really did and I it took me six months before I was aware of it honestly so yeah that's a whole other level to why I do what I do 
But it, that, that, that's interesting. I like that idea of life happens for you, not to you. And it's kind of it's true. It's very true. And that's probably why you're probably taking the direction you have. And I would, I'm not going to guess on what you're doing after competing, but I'm sure it's holistic and, and mentally. <laughs> it is, <man>. yeah. <laughs> just it's online coaching. Just, but it's but just like, hey. if, if you're in the room, you can see the passion about it. And I think that that's, even if anyone listening trainer wise or whoever is thinking about these types of things, it's like, you're going to pert, you'll be the most successful at what you're passionate about. If you can make it realistic, essentially. And you found a way to kind of, well, essentially make money doing it. But you, yeah. can't, you can't be homeless and, <laughs> yeah. and and pursue those passions. Maybe you can. There's we, homeless people that bisque. And play <laughs> <laughs> it's just well, not ideal. There's homeless people are doing very well. Uh, not many. You, the thing you said about life happens for you, not to you. That's a, re- a really good way of reframing. A lot of people do really, really well when they take ownership and responsibility, uh, pivot as life occurs, uh, the way that they approach obstacles. One of my favorite books is uh, The Obstacles the Way. And that's mm-hmm. largely about not taking a victim mindset to everything as life happens. People who have this victim mindset, and yes, sure, there are real victims out there, but people who blame everything externally, external locus of control, they tend not to do particularly well. Whereas what you described as having an internal locus of control. Well, this happened, okay, I'm, what happens to me is going to be dictated by my attitude and how I deal with this as opposed to just being miserable and upset and angry at the world because this happened. That's actually kind of one of my core philosophies when it comes to dealing with clients, encouraging people to take ownership and feel in control. I don't like it very much when people, I had a discussion with a friend of mine on social media about how he liked to talk about sugar addiction. And I don't, but first of all, there's lots of research and evidence to refute that sort of notion. But when you start labeling things as addictions and diseases that are largely lifestyle, that can be a way of saying to people, well, it's beyond your control. Mm -hmm. So when you take control away or ownership or responsibility for something, I think it can leave people feeling very defeated and not having any ability to affect their outcome. So that's a core philosophy I have. Do you guys have any key core philosophies that how you approach your work with your clients uh, in the fitness industry? Stuff that you really believe in. Mm, just in terms of like making sure you're doing it for the right reason. So if you, you know, you want to transform your body, um, it has to be for you and it can't be from, for some like external source of validation. So for me, that was huge because when I first started getting into competing, it was truly just because I was fascinated with bodybuilding and fitness was something I was like, man, this is something that I can do and I love. And like, why would I not compete? It's something I truly love to do. And it was something I wanted to do for myself. So I think if you're coming from a place where you're trying to seek that external validation, um, you know, maybe rethink how you're going about it. Um, so that's definitely something that I think is important. Um, as well as just trying to like, uh, kind of on a different path, but just kind of building like the healthiest habits you can build around whatever you're trying to do. So don't always think about it as like, this is my, you know, diet that I'm doing for this competition. And this is how I'm going to live my life. It's like, what can you take out of that? What kind of healthy habits can you build to kind of approach your whole life with? Um, not just for that short period of time that you're doing a transformation. This is kind of like a lifelong journey fitness. So don't approach it in, you know, um, the competition prep phase, uh, exclusively, make sure you're thinking about it in like a holistic way. I have two things. I kind of piggyback on what you said. Um, build a reputation for yourself so you don't have to build a reputation for others. And 
that being said, like keep promises to yourself. I've been in phases in my life where I'm like, oh, I need to get back on, uh, back on track for eating or for training. And I'll tell myself I'm going to start today and I'm going to do it. And I don't, and there's nothing worse for your self-confidence. They don't need to be huge steps. Um, like something different between Western and Eastern. I feel like in Western, it's like go big or go home. Like I'm going to do everything at once and I'm going to do it big. And I feel like when you go hard like that, you fall hard too. So (laughs) just take those little baby steps. They don't have to be massive, but keep them and take them. Um, And once you do that, the ball starts to roll and you're like, okay, I can do this. Like what else can I do? And that's kind of what spreads from there. And then my other one is, uh, get curious, not judgmental, um, in terms of everything. So if there's like that, yeah, like I feel even with me going to China, like so many people were like, why the hell are you going to China? That's stupid. You just bought a house. (laughs) Like like nobody really (laughs) asked, like nobody actually like asked me why I was going to China. And it's like, well, um, teaching English, you make awesome money when we're there, you can see, and I get better at teaching as well. Um, it gave me some really good alone time to like think and feel about my passion it solidified a lot of stuff in our relationship. Like we had to live alone in China. Like that's a huge <laughs> test. Like um, yep. my house, like I made money on it while I was away, like stuff like that. But people don't really ask those questions. Sometimes I think we're so quick to judge and same with things in the, in the fitness industry. Like people say like, you can't be a competitor and run mm-hmm. and this and that, like screw it. I, I do like, you know what I mean? You can't like I, but um, I had to go out and ask a lot of questions and try a lot of these things. And they're things that I initially judged as well. But And also yeah. just kind of something that I, I touched on briefly, like in terms of making sure you're doing whatever you're doing for yourself and not for external source of validation. Make sure what you're doing can be applied to other areas of your life. So something that was huge for me is like taking what I learned in my fitness journey and actually being able to apply it into different aspects of my life. And apply it in a way that it made those aspects of my life better. So if you learn, if you're learning something like time management from having to plan all your meals, yeah. planning when you're working out, doing your cardio, etc., you know, use that and apply it to your career. If you're not, if your career isn't in fitness, you know, make make your, you know, you a better like, uh, more efficient worker, um, better at like balancing the struggles of like life and like career or whatever. So use things that you learn in terms of your fitness and apply them to other aspects of your life. Okay, this one's for Michelle. Just because we we were talking about women, and just this whole idea of an ideal body, how would you, I guess, caution people against taking shortcuts? Yeah, um, I think that's one of the biggest cautions, and I can really speak to that too. Like, I think unfortunately, I was I was so young when I started. It's good though. Like, I feel like every experience I went through now, I can just teach women and teach people. But I think I did every like fad diet that was out there when I was young. Like I was probably 14 when I started getting, which is so sad to think about, but it's true. And I guess I can say like, like Mark said, like it's life's a marathon, not a sprint as cliche as that is. If you're doing something that you can't sustain, like I said, you're going to go hard and you're going to fall hard coming out of it. Our bodies are really smart. I think a big thing for women would be like calorie restricting, um, things like that. Just know that like going into that extreme will take you out of that extreme as well. So just approaching stuff from a holistic and sustainable um, mindset. And I know that that's not easy. And I know that there's so many tempting things out there these days where people are like, get ripped in 30 days. Like it it just unfortunately doesn't work like that. So ask yourself when you are doing these things, is it something that you enjoy? And is it something that you can do for life and just take it baby steps? You don't need to go into it full fledged. 
think those would be that'd be some of my biggest things. It's funny that lines up right with the that New Year's infographic I had was like take small steps because essentially like yeah if you do everything hundred percent go yeah. hard I guess pedal to the metal like that that isn't sustainable you'll run out of gas at some point and then it's now true. you've you've what have you gained out of it you're, and, su- yeah. you're setting yourself up for failure absolutely and don't be scared to ask for help I wish that was something I think I was lucky with that I was. I was 16 when I got a personal trainer and that's where it started. And then I think I was 20 when I got an online coach and that was, I've had two online coaches and they've been complete changers for me. Like they've, they've taken the time to make those mistakes or to like invest their time and gaining all of that knowledge. It's just a quicker way to do it. Make sure the people that you're reaching out to or know their stuff, but. One, how did you actually let's let's touch on that. How, how did you go about qualifying your coach? I guess to yourself, like how, how did you, kind of stumble upon that because you yeah you have a good experience where I've heard countless bad experience yeah nightmares um good question I was young when I had my first personal trait it was kind of outside it was like my mom was doing personal (laughs) training (laughs) and she's like come on sweetie come to the gym with me so I honestly did personal training with my mom (laughs) and then um from there like my first coach she's in my family so it was very um yeah, it was That's easy to qualify. Super easy to qualify. <laughs> Second coach I worked with, he's the most life-changing coach, like, hands down for me, was yeah. Kevin Newfin, and I met him through Mark. He trained Mark. Um, he kind of just made me realize, like, at that point, I'm like, yeah, Michelle, you are overtraining and you are under-eating, and I didn't, I didn't have that awareness, I guess. So it was good to have that outside perspective, and he was just, like, so awesome at just being like, yeah, you can have carbs and have the body that you want, like... It's just crazy how women have those pressures and they get those misconceptions, I suppose. But when you think, and obviously I know the answer to this, but it made an impact that you had a, a referral from someone that was close to you. Exactly. That that made an impact. So I guess yeah. the one thing I'd pull out of that is is get referrals from people you trust because that's yeah. going to be one of the easiest ways to find out what you're going to get out of the experience. Because you could read everyone's bio, like everyone's going to say they're fucking good at their job, blah 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 blah. Like they're not going to say, "Hey, I, I I'm not going to pay any attention to you and write you two sentence answers to things." Like, so I guess yeah, find find good referrals, and I think that that's yeah. universal no matter what we're talking about. And they're back. Like you can hear all of us too. We all have our experience, like true life experiences and yeah. passion and and credentials and kind of a combination of all of those things, right? I suppose we have time for this one. I was going to skip over this, but Mark and I like to uh, joke around about, I I like to post videos of these idiots (laughs) who inject oil into their arms. And and it's their upper arms, their forearms. they got the skinniest little forearms. Let's preface this by Andrew actually posts, well, lately once a week about the dudes putting oil into their biceps. So if you ever see the big freaking monsters, like Andrew hates them. No, no, it's not hate. It's it's they're they're cartoon animals. They're they're, they're, they're funny. We're not allowed to make fun of anything anymore. And, and oh, we can make fun right, of them, and rightfully no. so. Like we shouldn't be making. You should never make fun of fat people. Like seriously, you can't make fun of a lot of the stuff that, like I, I my generation grew up. But it was sort of okay, but now it's like really not so, and rightfully so. But these guys are fair game because these guys are morons. So uh, <laughs> taking that like. <laughs> She answered about girls taking shortcuts. What about guys taking shortcuts? And then your thoughts on these idiots that inject so, oil. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things I can say about this because I am, I do come from a competition background where people are introduced, you know, can I say that word? Yes, steroids. That's People are introduced to like steroids and performance enhancing drugs through bodybuilding competitions. And usually it comes about from them, you know, they're like, oh, I really want to get jacked and I want to do this competition. The issue with that is if you're doing a competition just to get jacked, 
and you're not already jacked to do a competition, you're going to, you know, be, um, be prey to using these, you know, shortcuts or like steroids. And I'm not someone who's against steroids at all. I understand that they have a place, um, in really competitive athletics, especially bodybuilding, but you need to be, be sure that you're doing them properly. And you're hooking up with someone who is, you know, uh, reliable, who you can actually ask for advice, someone who's done these things, who has experience with doing them properly. Um, and that's a huge issue because there is coaches out there. I'm not going to name any names, but there's, there's a ton where did Michael go off on this? You know, they, yeah, Michael went off on this. Yeah. they have, they have their, their, their clients. Yeah. And then they also have their drugs that they're selling those clients. Yeah. They're charging them more than they should. They're not telling them how to do the things properly. And they literally just, they just want to, um, essentially push as much drugs in these people because they don't really know, you know, the nutrition or the training that they actually need to give these people. They're like, if I, you know, give them this, these drugs, they're going to lose weight. That's all we need to do. We don't have to worry about their long-term health or their ability to come off these drugs. I'm just going to sell them drugs that I have and I'm going to make money from them. They're going to be my client. And because they're going to get results because I'm giving these, these drugs, they're going to come back to me for more. Here's your takeaway, so, guys. If you're hiring a coach, buy your drugs from a different person. That solves that problem. <laughs> well, it, it, I it takes the bias out. Someone's it's like, they're writing this down. Oh, this is a good idea. And it's not even that. It's like if, if a coach, if a coach's main philosophy is the drugs that he's giving you, they're a shitty like, coach. That, that defeats the purpose of going to a coach in the first place. You're going to them for nutritional and training philosophies. If you're doing a bodybuilding competition and they're trying to help you with the sports science technologies, um, <laughs> performance <laughs> the aspect of it, that's one thing. But you got to make sure that they're mostly, and their main focus is the nutrition and the training. Because there is no one who is going to just take drugs, not train properly, not eat properly, and go win a competition. That doesn't happen. It doesn't work like that. You need to do the eating. You need to train properly. You need to do it for years. And then if you need the drugs, you know, for the cherry on top of the sundae to really, you know, get that crisp, clean look that the judges are looking for, then that's that's probably okay. But you got to make sure you're doing it in a correct way. <clears throat> Shoot, throw them the book one. A- the Andrew book always one. does this. You probably heard because you, you listen. I hope you read. <laughs> if you Otherwise, there's no answer for this. Dr. Seuss is an acceptable answer. So, uh, for each of you guys, uh, is there a book that you are reading or have read in the past that has had major influence, a profound effect on your lives, your careers, that you would recommend to others? Should we talk about the one that we were really mindful of? We can talk about that one. Okay. I, like, I'm a huge reader. I could go on and on. Um, I The one that's just like coming most... Recently, because I read it recently, is um, the mil- the secrets of the millionaire mindset. Um, it was cool. It was recommended by a friend. Um, completely changed my mindset around money, and definitely made me look into things in the past, like whether it was things that my parents have said to me or friends uh, that I had all these values around money and certain mind blocks. Actually, like I convinced myself that like. I only need to make this much a year and I'm not materialistic and this will make me how, and it's like, why? And so I went through this book and it just completely transformed my mindset around finances. I hate this dysfunction that I think we're seeing now in a younger generation that in, again, the West and here, let's shit on the West for a bit, this devaluing of financial success or career success. It's almost this communist sort of mindset. And I don't understand where this garbage is coming from. I was raised with it. I don't know why. I don't know where it came from either, but on one hand, the same people will look at someone like Jay-Z or Beyonce and and love them and celebrate them because they're celebrities or the Kardashians. 
and then reject the idea of a small business owner mm -hmm. or someone along those lines profiting. You're seeing this now with it raising a minimum wage in Ontario. And there's a lot of social and political stuff there. I don't want to get into it, but there seems to be this attitude that it's like business owners are the bad guys, right? And, oh, tax them more, all this sort of stuff. And, yeah, I'm not sure if I buy into the whole idea that we should punish people who work hard mm -hmm. to be financially and career successful. So It's oh, very I like backwards. That yeah. I agree. Yeah. And for, for me, um, <clears throat> unfortunately, I've been in school for, like, the last seven years, so I've always been crammed with things to read that I don't necessarily want to read. Yep. So I'm reading for the sake of having to do it for a class and not actually for enjoyment. But recently I made a commitment to myself where I'm going to start reading for myself. And one of the books that I've been, you know, kind of diving into lately is Tim Ferriss's Tribe of Mentors. So I don't know if you guys are familiar yep. with yep. Tim Ferriss. So his kind of philosophy on writing books is it's a book where you can just pick up and read like 20 pages and it doesn't matter where you're reading it from because he's kind of interviewing different people. So he's interviewing all these influential people through, you know, uh, business, fitness, health, um, success, successful authors, writers, um, you know, movie stars, whatever. And he's asking them a series of questions and getting their perspective. So for me, that's something that's, it speaks to me completely because I like, I love learning different perspectives and different ways of thinking um, because it always makes me, you know, question how I'm thinking and usually makes me a better thinker in general. Well, the one thing I like about his books is, yeah, same thing. I've actually breezed over some things. I was like, yeah, yeah this yeah. one's kind of... And the, you can do that, which yeah. is nice. And then the next one's awesome. So it's yeah. like it's like hit or miss. And I, I do like that. It, it's definitely true. You can open it in the middle and you'll get something out of it. Mm -hmm. Good or bad. I'm not putting myself in ice baths. I'm just waiting soon. for Ferris' books to come out on audiobooks because these things are giant tomes. Well, the thing like, is, though, that's... I even I didn't get through them. It's if, really his podcast. Yeah. Like... Like a lot of them, yeah. I don't know about that book, but he's pulled all it from the transcripts and or his personal notes. Like it's all in the podcast. It is a lot of from the podcast. Yeah, yeah. mixed in with all his low carb zealotry. Well, <laughs> we don't need to get into that. Yeah. With, with Tim Ferriss, you get a little bit of another hour. I don't think Tim Ferriss lives. So. I think in order to have a very very popular podcast, you have to be a low carb zealot. Rogan's got a bit of that affliction too. So right? I, maybe maybe you and I Dave, have to get Dave Asprey. I don't want to get on that. They're just crazy. They're just a little crazy. <laughs> to be That's successful me. like that, they got to be a little charlatan, right there. They're gonna be a little crazy. Uh, yeah, a little so crazy. Dean, I think in order to blow this thing up, we have to go low carb. I already have done that. I did it for I did keto for four months. I know. It was fine. That's it how was we fine. actually started talking. Yeah, I, I didn't find keto. it. Then it's any... okay for you to have a podcast. Yeah, yeah. actually, yeah, <laughs> the, the, the it is the Keto Gains podcast. Just enough with keto Dean Guido. I actually didn't mind keto. I just I just didn't want to do it anymore. So I didn't. I don't know. It worked. It worked. But it, at the end of the day, it worked as good as any other calorie diet. Like it's normal dieting, just with no carbs. <laughs> so I'm not a zealot we're like you need to your brain works so much better <laughs> it worked a little better okay uh, <laughs> that was zealotry where do people find you so actually let's start with this where is your fitness career going forward like just kind of seeing where you're at and what's the next step and where can people find you and learn more about this whole thing you guys got going on so for me there's two avenues so yep. I introduced briefly I started a clothing business um, Ultimate Physique Apparel with my coach and my partner now uh, Kevin, Ethan, and Red Deer. So we're going to be using that as a way to kind of uh, expose ourselves more to the industry, yep. as well as my online coaching business, which I've uh, recently dived into. So you can find me on Instagram. Um, my personal one is Marcus James 1992 
Um, it's one of those things that maybe I like invented when I was way too young and I still use it for some reason. My email is still shorty um, underscore borders. I, <laughs> we all have that Hotmail account that we just I've, don't want to share. Yeah, I was just going to say, I've actually evolved from my Hotmail account. Thankfully, I got a university email address. Good job, man. Um, but yeah, you can find me on Instagram there as well as my clothing brand, um, Ultimate Physique Apparel. Our Instagram is we are UPA, W-E-A-R-E-U-P-A. Um, and our Facebook page is Ultimate Physique Apparel. Nice. Michelle? Awesome. I'm full-time online coaching now. Super happy to... That was why I feel China was awesome. So yeah, as soon as I came home, that was kind of my big 2018 goal for myself. So my Instagram is at mindfulnessmichelle. You can contact my website, my email, and everything through there. Well, guys, I really, really wanted to pull these two on here. Uh, this is actually one of my favorite episodes we've ever recorded. You can see their energy and enthusiasm. They've been a lot of fun. So this rivals our Mike Isertel one for funny. So, uh, well, they listening. weren't as funny. Nah, pretty close. Uh, <laughs> you, so, objectively, you've heard Mike Isatel's. That was pretty funny. That was pretty funny. Yeah. So, guys, uh, no, seriously, uh, follow these two guys on social media. Check out their journey because yeah. God only knows what other country they're going to end up in or other weird, <laughs> weird shit. So, uh, weird. weird. <laughs> You're all weird. Fair enough. We, we have to find the, the, the weird shit you guys <laughs> will, will find. So anyway, guys, uh, thanks so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to have another episode coming up shortly after this with my friend Braden Wright, who's a successful musician and model who has had a background in fitness his whole life. He's actually going to step in the door soon. We'll release. But if you're listening to this, it'll be available in a few days afterwards. So, and then the other big thing that we could really benefit from is some five-star reviews on iTunes. Those really help us out a lot. It helps us climb the rankings. More people can find us and you can share what you're enjoying with everyone else. And if you guys are first-time listeners, you guys are a friend or a fan of Michelle or Mark, go check, uh, check out our page on Facebook or subscribe to us because we are going to continue pumping out great episodes. Go check out great episodes like, again, the Mike Tell one is really funny, or Sohee Lee's episode's amazing. Just pick one, give it a shot, see if you really love it, and if you do, then subscribe. Thanks so much, and have a great day. See you guys. Shut up and sit down.